Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Today, I just want to start off this morning here. We'll start off with a prayer to start. We'll do that first. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, Lord, and, and we're just so thankful for your word. God, your word is, is living it's life-changing, Lord, and there's so much we can get out of it, even if we read it time and time again, Lord. We just see how your word can, it speaks to us, God, so we just want to be open to that to understand your word. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we consider the good news. And what is that? If we do it, and if we put it in short, the gospel is Jesus came, he was crucified, he was buried and rose on the third day, and he's coming back. And we say he came down. He came down from heaven to earth. You know, he came down to make a way for us. He allowed himself to be crucified, so he sacrificed his own blood and body and paid for our sins. He paid for everyone's sins. And uh, he was in the tomb for three days, and he rose out of that to prove that he had death has no power over him. And the best part, like I said, is our blessed hope. He's coming back one day, and that's what I love about prophecy. It shows that. It teaches us that. And, you know, God is so good. His word is so good. But his word is a living word. It's alive, and it's always revealing truth to us in new, new and interesting ways. And we see that in Bible study. We, we go through things in Bible study, and there's always something new. Even in the same scriptures we might have read before, there's always something new that comes out of that. But this week... As we gather in worship, and worship is that spirit and truth. Worship is really what the Father really wants to see. In the last couple of weeks, I've been just worship has been on my heart and on my mind. So that's where I wanted to go today was to talk about worship. And you know, worship is not about the songs we sing here on Sunday morning. It's not about how great the praise band, you know, is that morning or how well they do. That's not what worship is about. Worship is about us coming here to praise the Lord for what he's done for us throughout the week. And the question I have is, even for myself, am I preparing my heart for worship? And you know, as I'm doing this, the Lord had brought John chapter 4 to mind. And this is what I love about scripture. John chapter 4 is what we've, you know, pastored this a couple months ago, but we'll read here. It's John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. It says, now that he has gone through, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well, and was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritanite, Samarite woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritan. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who was it that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. 
And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will be in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me the waters. Sir, give me this water so that I will not, won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and he worships, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. <clears throat> you know, spring, Pastor Joseph used this, used the same verse here to describe how Jesus would, how he did, does things a little different. He chooses the one to change many. In our minds, you know, as Joseph was saying, that our logic would be we'll go out and find a group of people. That's not how Jesus worked. So when Jesus brought this passage to me, I was kind of thinking, okay, I, I get the whole spirit and truth and worship. And I, I, I wasn't sure where God was leading me with this, but this is where God's word is amazing. So a week or two ago, I heard a question. I'm not even sure who I heard it from, but this was an interesting question to me. If the first century Christians those who actually knew Jesus, were here today in worship. Would our worship look different? Would they look at us and, and think, you know, it, would, it, would worship look different to them? Would, if, if we were to watch them worship, would it be any different? And I thought, well, it might look different. I was thinking, you know, we live in a more higher technological age. You know, we live in a faster-paced society, you know, I mean, how, I mean, for them, I mean, they knew Jesus. And, you know, you see where my logic's going. We know Jesus. We can know him personally. Where my logic was leading was just excuses to how we worship <clears throat> sometimes. But when I realized this pretty quickly, the struggle with the same reality that we do. See, there's one who doesn't want us to worship God. And he will do anything in his path to keep us from that. He lies to us. He deceives us at any opportunity he can, and he, he's always waiting for a way to find his way in. And unfortunately, today we leave too many doors wide open for him to attack us. We really need to, really ought to consider that in our lives. But that's another topic for another time. So I thought I'd last. So I thought I'd list some things that. Well, okay. I thought, all right, I'll be wise in my own eyes and list some things to help help us get through worship. And it's funny how God works, because I got to the first word, and I couldn't get past it. And the word <clears throat> that he gave me was worthy. And I'm not talking about 
worthy about Christ. Christ is worthy. He's the only one who is worthy. But I'm talking about is worthy in a sense that as we come to God for worship, do we feel unworthy of his grace? They just have to stick together. You know, when you draw close close to God and, and his truth in your life, do you feel as though a wall comes down, a curtain comes down? Do you feel the sense of shame or unworthiness to him? Do you, do you start to hear things like, uh, you're, ne- you're never going to be good enough. God can't use someone like you. I mean, look what you've done. And you're never going to be what God wants you to be. And maybe it's just better off that you keep your distance. You don't get involved. Uh, maybe you feel like you've been the black sheep in the family. You know, I think everybody kind of feels that way every now and then. And what a powerful weapon that Satan allows us to use against ourselves. And that's when I got to reading into this word here, and it was amazing. Because meeting the woman at the well, he finds, it, he finds that one who will turn many to Christ. And the conversation starts with a very simple, can you get me a drink? And he tells her, and as the conversation goes back and forth, he starts to tell her about the living water. And when she finally gets to the point where she wants that living water, she asks him, sir, may I have, can you give me this living water so that I don't have thirst no more and have to come back to the well? And Jesus does the next thing, which I think is amazing. When he gets her to that point where she's ready to accept his word, the next step he has to do is get to repentance. And I think that's why he asked her is, go get your husband. Well, she got to that point and she said, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right when you say this. You've no, you have no husband. The fact is you've had five and the one you have now is not your husband. And what's amazing is the next verse is amazing. The next verse I've never caught before. But what she does in the next verse, the woman says, Sir, I, I see that you're a prophet, and our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She changed the subject. As soon as sin was brought up, I believe that wall of shame fell down on her, and she automatically changed the subject you know, to avoid, the, to avoid it because you know, sin is, it brings a sense of shame and unworthiness, and I think... It didn't take the devil long to slide right in there and make that that wall go up real quick. So she changes the subject. And what I find is amazing is the subject matter that she changes it to. And that's the subject of worship. (laughs) I thought that was awesome. That's why I love God's word. It's it's so amazing. So when she changes it to this, when she changes it to worship, she changes it to the place. She tries to direct it to the location of worship. And what's the first thing God does? He changes it to the attitude of worship. Immediately redirects the conversation to the attitude of worship. And she says she knows that the Messiah one day would come and reveal all these things. And he said, of course, I who speak to you am he. When she came to know who Jesus was, that shame and blanket, and if you, if you really read this, was removed. It seems to me that the first thing that she did when that happened was she went and worshipped. She went straight to town, and she told everybody, testified that God knows, told me everything I've done in my life. She wasn't no longer ashamed of who she was or what she had done, and that's what's so awesome about God. When you come to that point with him, and he can remove that shame. So my question is, is your worship today, is it free Words of being held captive by what we've done in the past. 
A while back, I asked someone, you know, how they prepare their heart for worship on Sunday mornings. And I find their, you find their comment, what they said was, it was pretty unique. It wasn't a checklist of things to do. Like, I need to make sure I read my Bible. I need to make sure I pray. I need to make sure, you know, we get caught in that, the checklist, you know. As we learn in, in Bible study there with Pastor Jack, we always feel like we have a checklist. We got to do, we got to do, we got to do. That's not what God requires of us. And he's amazing. But this person said, I think for me the most important thing is the state of my heart going into it. And it, if I'm staying humble and I'm aware of my need for him, pressing into him during the week, my well automatically spills out on Sunday morning. If I'm using Sunday morning to fill my own well, I don't have a whole lot left to share. And I thought that was very intriguing. And that was an amazing thought. So what I'm trying to get to is on Sunday mornings when we worship, worship can be amazing enough. I mean, there's days we got to come and we got to have our well filled. I'm not going to lie. There's days we get beat up pretty good. But what I want to do is press on you guys to not get caught into the lie, not get caught into the shame, and prepare your heart for worship throughout the week. The, week, the whole week should be a sense of worship in you. And it's amazing how that works. And Renee, you can come up. So I was kind of this morning, I didn't have anything really in depth, but it was very focal and very narrow point, and that's just what the Lord gave me. I didn't have a whole lot to work with, except yesterday morning, I just kind of sat down and it came to me. I had to rewrite it last night because my thoughts weren't coming together, but my prayer for you is that this is what we do. Take this home tonight and, and really think about worship and where you're at in worship and how you prepare your hearts for worship for Sunday morning. Sunday morning is not about us coming here to be filled by God. Our Sunday morning is to come here and praise God for what he's doing in our lives and what we're seeing him doing. And we're to give thanks and praise for him. So to help out this morning, I want to give you a list of our identity in Christ. How we are to see ourselves in Christ. And I've got a list of 20 some verses here. But try to keep these in heart. I'll go through them pretty quick, so you probably won't be able to keep track of them all. But in Romans 3:24, it says we are justified, declared not guilty of sin. And justified is a pretty amazing word because if you break it down, it's just as if I never sinned. Kind of a neat little thing there, play on words. Romans 8:1, there's no condemnation that awaits us. 8:2, we are set free from the law of sin that leads to death. In 1 Corinthians, we're told we are sanctified, made holy, made acceptable to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, we are righteous and holy in Christ. In 15.22, we will be made alive at the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, we are a new creation. In 5.21, we receive God's righteousness. In Galatians 3.28, we are one in Christ with all other believers. In Ephesians 1.3, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Ephesians 1.4, we are holy and blameless. 1.5 and 6, we are adopted as God's children. One seven, our sins are taken away and we are forgiven. Verses 10 and 11, we are brought under Christ's authority. One thirteen, we are identified and belong to God by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2.6, we've been raised up to sit with Christ. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's work of art. 
2.13, we've been brought up near to God. In 3.6, we share in the promise of the blessing through Christ. In 3.12, we can come with freedom and confidence into God's presence. In Ephesians 5.29 and 30, we are members of Christ's body, the, the church. In Colossians 2.10, we are made complete in Christ. In 2.11, we are set free from sin's nature. In 2 Timothy, we have eternal glory. So Jernay leads us in the song she is. Find out who you are in Christ. Your true identity is not found in what you did. It's who Christ says you are. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you, God, because it is all about you. Lord, just allow us this week to prepare our hearts for worship next week, to notice a difference, God, that our cups be overflowing. Just ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.